0: Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pineland's Nursery. I am Fran Chismar.
1: And I'm Tom Knezik, and I forgot to change the episode number because I took care of the script this week. and oh. It is episode 120.
0: You know, I completely ignored your script and wrote my own <laughs> and then just added your, <laughs> yeah, your yeah, questions yeah. in. So I had it right. Yeah, so, I guess that didn't help you any.
1: No, but today we're going to be joined by Johnny Keespe. Did I say that right, Johnny.
2: That's right. All right. All right. All right.
1: So, and uh, he's from the Nature Conservancy. But we have a couple things that I want to bring up first. And yes. um, and first is that we have a live show coming up on October
0: 1st. It's re- a Saturday. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. This is a first for us, and I'm really looking forward to the audience participation. I may regret saying that. Maybe yeah. I – and maybe yeah. afterwards we're like, this was a, a bad idea. So it's
1: – and um, I have the notes yeah. in the last one, but it's in the park in Bergen County. Um, I'll pull up the notes while I'm – but we're the, for that. the live
0: show. It will be a plant sale, native plant sale from 10 to 2. And then the podcast will be in the cafe, uh, for the park cafe from 2 to 3. And our guest will be uh, Dr. Randy Eckel.
1: Yeah. And is it free to get in or is it? Uh, they have to pay. I think it's free. <laughs> I'm so, pretty sure it's free. I don't free. think we're that big that they yeah. <laughs> us yet. Yeah. But uh, and that that event is in James Braddock Park in North Bergen, New Jersey at uh, and then we're gonna be in the North or in the Nature's Park Cafe at two PM. So
0: And we do have coming up also a uh, we're doing live talk. We we've done a, a lot of talks via Zoom, but this will be our first live talk in September, I wanna say the twenty second. Thursday the twenty second mm-hmm. at the Hopewell train station for the Sourland Conservancy. Yeah, And it will be our our new talk that we just gave at Bowman's Hill called Lessons Learned, and it will be the first time that we've gotten the opportunity to talk in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. So we're getting warmed up for that live podcast. Yeah, and then uh, then the uh, next thing is that we have that
1: job posting that you're going to be able to find in the Facebook group. We're looking for an assistant propagator here at Pylons Nursery. Um, you'll get to learn from one of the best propagators in the country, in our opinion, and many other people's opinions as well. Um, if you want more information, you can go on our Facebook group and find it there. There'll be a, a job posting. Um, it's also on our website. There's a little menu, and then you go to career opportunities. It's under there, and um, and you can find it on Indeed as well. So if you're interested in being a propagator, Pinal's Nursery, it's a,
0: I think it's a great job. If you want to learn from one of the best and get a well-rounded, uh, you know. Obviously, we need someone with a little bit of experience, obviously, to be assistant propagator, but a well rounded take on Woody's herbaceous uh, seed collecting, all that, uh, because 95% of what we grow is from seed that we collect ourselves. You're going to get a really good education uh, from one of the best out there. So, yeah. great opportunity. Take advantage of it. Yeah. So, with that, uh, I don't- by the way, can I say I'm excited about this one? Oh, ever me too. since we talked about, you know, the, not that I'm prolonging getting our guests. I can't wait to talk to our guests. But after talking with the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and Andrew Bunting and talking to them about some of the things that they were doing uh, in urban settings, it kind of like was a nice precursor for this one. So it kind of like wet your appetite a little bit, get you ready. So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. me to cut you off. Yeah, so – Johnny, let's go back to
1: you. And I'm sorry, I actually misintroduced you because it's Doctor Johnny Keyspay, right? Yes, right. Thank you. yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> so you put in the time, so I don't want to freshly minted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Congratulations! Just,
2: thank you, thank you. Yeah, and I- I'm just gonna go ahead and say um, I I love that you guys are having something at James Braddock Park. I'm actually I was born uh, in Hoboken and uh, raised North Bergen, so that's actually Ooh. just a couple blocks away from my old stomping grounds. Awesome! Very cool. So, uh, I'm gonna have to tell my parents to go. Check
0: it out. All right, yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's um,
1: the New Jersey Native Plant Society, or actually it's Native Plant Society of New Jersey, uh, had a branch pop up there a couple years ago, and it's really thrived. And mm. you think of native plants, they often get aligned with natural spaces or, or even what you're doing in your, your yard, and you have a, a chapter of the society that's thriving in a place where it's quite a bit more urban, you don't have as many of these natural places, and it's just amazing how many people have yeah. really just embraced this Uh, this organization in a place where you might not expect it to.
0: So it's been cool to see that. It's nice to see so many people embrace it and find a way to bring nature to them, Mm -hmm. even though they may not have the space and work with those obstacles and, and become part of a community to do that with other people and help them and encourage or even to take care of the natural spaces you have. It's just, it, it it was really heartwarming just to see how well that area is taken off. Yeah. Yeah, and they have some great leadership up there that's helping that always kind of, helps. Uh,
1: <laughs> rally the troops, in a sense, to to get people involved. So, But we have you on to kind of talk about, you're actually our second guest from the Nature Conservancy, um, but what you're doing is so different, in a sense, from what uh, Michelle de Blasio was doing in the, still in New Jersey, but on the western part of the state versus you're in a different area of the state. So yeah. can you tell us kind of what the broad focus of the Nature Conservancy is, and then what you're doing Personally, here in New Jersey.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I'm I'm still fairly new to the Nature Conservancy. I, uh, as as I mentioned earlier, um, just transitioned out of finishing my time at Rutgers, uh, wrapping up my doctorate, and I was really eager to. You know, stay in state. I'm from New Jersey, born in New Jersey, raised to college, everything in New Jersey. Uh, so working for the Nature Conservancy in my home state has been uh, nothing short of like a blessing. It's been it's been great to just stay in uh, stay here, be able to work on issues uh, uh, in in the environmental sector and in conservation and working in, in urban spaces where for me, it's, uh, where I was born. I was, I was raised in a, in a city, uh, being able to interact in city spaces and bring, you know, the environment and, uh, and, and meet people where they're at in their urban landscapes has been, has been awesome. And, uh, I'll get a little more into the city's program and, you know, where, where we are, but, um, tnc uh, at the nature conservancy simply put our mission is conserving the lands and waters on which all life depends on and that is that is kind of how we you know all of our programs our initiatives our um our uh different sorts of projects that we do always have that kind of lens and that perspective on uh you know are are we you know if it's uh you know dam removal or if it's, you know, restoring floodplains or riparian buffer zones or, you know, wetlands or whatever the case may be, you know, always having that eye to, you know, um, how do we, how are we doing the best job possible to conserve lands and waters on which all life depends on um, and really bringing, you know, bringing that connection, drawing, you know, how these landscapes, you know, how we interact with those landscapes, you know, people, humans, uh, for for many years now have manipulated, changed our landscapes, have, uh, you know, we've developed uh, heavily, especially on the Eastern seaboard and, you know, known, you know, now we have, kind of, as we're starting to see with climate change, a number of impacts that are starting to arise and become more prominent. So, you know, I think this is a really neat space for us to be involved in. But we also have to enter this space, meaning working in urban spaces with a lot of you know, humility with an open mind and, you know, we're, we're almost in a way, new kids on the block kind of, uh, in this space. And, uh, yeah, so it's very different than our other, other work. You know, we have our, uh, our coast program, which has been working a lot on, um, uh, marsh, uh, restoration, thin layer placement, you know, working on mitigating impacts from, you know, sea level rise and, and coastal storms and creating habitat low and high marsh areas on the, on the coastline. Then, uh, Tom, like you mentioned, we have our rivers program, which is our, our lands and rivers program. So we have, you know, work that, uh, Michelle and Beth Stileberry have been doing, uh, you know, phenomenal work, removing dams and restoring floodplains and riparian areas. And, you know, we also have our lands team, which has been working on a lot of habitat connectivity at issues, Um, you know, restoring uh, Bobcat Alley and the, uh, you know, parts of the Northern of Northern New Jersey. And uh, we're really proud of a lot of, a lot of that work. And we're really proud of kickstarting our cities program, which in New Jersey is fairly new. It's only uh, we're, we're entering. I, 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 so I've been at TNC now nine months. And I think when I joined the city's program was like in its first year. So like we're entering our second year now, um, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's start we're, st- we're still uh, slowly starting uh, at more broadly across the country. The city's network is about seven years old. So <laughs> yeah. again, we're it, in ref- New Jersey in reference to the bigger <clears throat> TNC. We're still, we're not that far behind, but we're, you know, definitely changing our, um, our sort of perspective, you know, TNC historically uh, we've worked on, you know, uh, conserving land acquisition, preserve management, uh, but uh, you know, having these sorts of uh, projects uh, and uh, initiatives, and we've started to see, hey, you know, by 2050, two of every three people are going to be living in an urban space, in a in a city. You know, so if we're really thinking about maximizing impact, we're thinking about um, uh, overburdened communities that um, may not have access to nature or may have a uh, disproportionate risk from, you know, whether it's flooding, air quality, poor air quality, uh, urban heat island, which recently has been all over the news. You can't miss it. Um, you know, th- these are issues that we have to navigate in the urban landscape. And they're very, very complex
0: with I, I know you mentioned that the whole city's program is only seven years old, which is you're right. That's still the, the infancy mm-hmm. stage. Do you know where the pilot program, where the initial program started?
2: Yeah. So you know, it was uh, <laughs> if if I if I hear this, if, if my uh, colleagues at TNC uh, in the Cities Network hear this, they're gonna they're gonna like. Uh, you know, I feel it was a group of co-conspirators. So to speak, <laughs> All right. That were that had uh, had had. You know, we had a global uh, cities program. Uh, uh, because TNC spans kind of we're we're kind of we're international and then we we have kind of uh, different uh, levels of TNC so to speak and we you know in North America we did have a group of uh, of uh, leaders I'll say you know uh, I'll, uh, Christ, uh, we will have um, Mira Emily Maxwell from New York a lot of different uh, folks who were committed to. Uh, you know, working in cities and urban landscapes, and so just right across the Hudson River, my colleague Emily has been doing a lot of great work in New York City. Um, you know, having uh, having the city tackle really—I mean, how, how how do they do urban conservation work there, and how um, you know the importance of street trees, the importance of you know uh, working with communities and local park associations, and you know bringing what is a very uh, dense uh, uh, group of of, uh, interested parties to the table. So, you know, um, I'll say a lot of work. um, A lot of the work in the beginning was, you know, I I think it was a group of of seven. I don't know all of them. Some of them have moved, but I uh, definitely um, know that those two folks played an integral role in kind of kicking things off. And right now our cities network, our national uh, cities Network is co-led by uh, Chris Chandler and Miriam Dor, um who have been uh, guiding all of our cities, kind of in in this direction of how how we how we do urban conservation work. Has
0: it been a slow rollout? Like, <clears throat> like has there been enough time for enough enough lessons learned for almost like a blueprint for you to to start that kind of conservation? Like enough like we've, we've had enough research and, and made enough mistakes or, or had enough success to really say, yeah. here you go? Or is, mm-hmm. I would imagine each city has their own challenges and you kind of have to adapt as you go.
2: Fran, you hit it right there at the <laughs> end. It's, you know, even even in New Jersey, you know, every, um, every municipality, every city has their own challenges. Uh, across the country, you know, we have folks uh, who, you know, are down in the southwest and you know the challenges that are caught my colleagues in the southwest are are facing are very different we have uh folks uh who are working on cities programs in louisville for instance in kentucky um and their their issues um look a lot different than the issues that we're, go, we're undergoing here in new jersey so i'll say we've had a lot of lessons learned um, <laughs> But we, we we will continue to have lessons learned and we conti- have to continue moving forward with kind of this, this open mind to learning, this open heart to understanding and really working with partners in these spaces. You know, one, I think one of the greatest strengths of, you know, uh, the city's uh, programs and F- the Nature Conservancy is our willingness to work with partners, community groups, residents. Uh, we have to be able to move forward um, kind of at the speed of trust in these spaces. It's something that, uh, you know, we, we want to work and need to work with communities. We have to incorporate and understand the, the local language and, and that I'm not, not just uh you know, whether it's Spanish, English, I'm not speaking, you know, language, but like, what is their need, right? And sometimes conservation needs and and our needs uh, or our goals at the Nature Conservancy don't necessarily align with what a community Mm -hmm. needs, but either way, being able to support that, support that, um, those efforts and be able to meet people where they're at is such an important part of this. And so I feel that we are, we will continue to learn. We will continue to grow um, and we, all of our work needs to be done through the lens of equity, and that's something that we're really working towards uh, in this field. Because for so many years, um, work has been uh, environmental work is focused in in areas in, in areas where uh, it wasn't necessarily getting to the people that needed it, needed it. You know, overburdened communities, disadvantaged uh, or dis, uh, invested communities across the country. Uh, and it's time that we we have to you know do it. We have to work on this. We have to uh, do it because it's the right thing, but also do it because it's um we're it's really I think where uh, for decades now uh, effort, investment, resources has just been lacking.
0: You know, and I and I can understand that it's it's an overwhelming challenge when you look at it from an outside lens. And <clears throat> you know, we you know just on a smaller scale. Tom and I do our talk when we talk about invasives. We say sometimes you can look in an area and say this is way too big. I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle it. But you can work on maintaining the pristine area and keeping that pristine and then go from there, which is a very easy way to look at it. But then you have this whole bigger area that so many people depend on and work on that isn't getting the focus that it needs, uh, the right focus. So Mm -hmm. like – and this this now is falling on you like this is your shoulders, um, and it's daunting if you think of equity, if you think of a non environment and all these obstacles that have been put in place that you're not necessarily going to eliminate all of them. You have to find yeah. a way to work, work around them. So where do you start? Like yeah. walking into this, <laughs> where, is, where is the beginning ground saying these are the things we need to focus on or these are the programs or the people we need to get involved?
2: Yeah, uh, that, that is a great point. I, you know, it starts with listening. Um, you have to enter and we, we have entered, you know, some the communities that we are working in and just being deep, like enter deep listening sessions and, you know, know that, uh, we're there to learn, we're there to, uh, observe, we're there to, uh, not, you know, run the show. I think many times, uh, uh, big, bigger environmental organizations have the, you know, um, I'm going to say that it's folks, uh, I guess there's a, and it's not, I don't want to say it's a perception because it is kind of a a fact, like some large organizations just come make their carve out their space and kind of say, Hey, like, this is what you guys need. And, uh, you know, um, we're going to do it. Uh, so it, it starts with that. It starts with coming in, being able, willing to listen, uh, attending, you know, public uh, public meetings, attending, you know, uh, events, community events, uh, understanding the lay of the landscape, and um, meeting community leaders and organizations and residents. And so, you know, I think that's the big starting point. Understanding you know, what are their priorities? What are their challenges? Uh, you know, where are spaces that TNC can be a better partner or any organization for that matter? Where, where can we, how can we be a good partner? Um, have we not, have we been a good partner in the past? Uh, and if not, why, and how can we improve that partnership and build that bridge? And, you know, I think what I love about this work, um, uh, is that it's very, it's, it's very, you know, centered around people and interactions and, uh, and just and being able to navigate that space. I think if I were to, uh, to think about, a, a, you know, a way to, to do it, like this work for me has been so, um, I want to say revolutionary in a sense because I have brought my passion for the environment and my background and, you know, more technical type stuff that I've spent – years cultivating and um i've actually not worked in city spaces prior to this i was more of a i was working in coastal areas so i was doing coastal ecology and i was like interested in sea level rise and you know wetlands and in that space but then like you know in throughout my academic uh, career and even professional career working with you know having you know engagement with community members has always been a part of it and i had a really uh, an advisor uh, throughout my doctor, uh, you know my my academic and professional career, who really, you know, uh, she's um she's a botanist by training, but she was a landscape architect. She was in the landscape architecture program at Rutgers, and uh, I think she always had me think about my pro like whatever problem or issue I was tackling in more of a holistic lens right there's mm-hmm. a people aspect you know there's a geography aspect to things there's an economic there's economics that come to play there's politics that, so there's like a lot of different things that come in and so being able to observe uh, uh an issue or a set of problems up through those lens has been for me uh just to say I can apply take those skill sets and apply it to this space and um and, that, and, that, and that's the approach we're taking. We've, we've you know, in, in, in those cities, uh, in two cities, um, uh, Patterson and uh, Newark are the two cities that we've been working in. And a lot of it is listening, you know, learning. Um, and then a little by little folks, you know, um, the opportunities come for, you know, collaboration and project development and ideation. And, you know, really, I think we're, we're seeking and we're hoping to become thought partners. Um, I say uh, that word very intentionally because I think it's how do we co-create uh, projects? How do we uh, help elevate support and engage organizations that have been doing this work for, you know, 20 year plus years, people who work and live in the community, Um, they're the ones that need to, you know, want this. They're the ones that should receive, you know, the recognition and the, um, the support for their work. And that's what I'm here to do.
1: Yeah. And it's so important. You're getting the community involved really from like from the jump. I remember at that same, uh, the the society of military engineers meeting that I met you, I think it was another presenter that came on (laughs) later had a similar thing where they, it was an army Corps of engineers project and they had to design it. I think it was in either Jersey city or Hoboken. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. where it was, but there was some flooding issues, a lot of stormwater stuff. And um, at first they kind of had this design and said, Oh yeah, this is what we're going to do. And the community's like, no, that's not going to work <laughs> because that's where I like, I walk my, uh, my son in a stroller every morning and now you just put right. a big barrier in the way. I can't do it anymore. So they mm-hmm. went back to the drawing board and got the community involved and, they really identified even where the worst parts of flooding were better than their right. maps were because the community told them, hey, no, this is this is where the flooding is actually happening. I know you on your map it says it's happened 100 yards that way, but it's really happening here. Mm-hmm. And, and then they were able to integrate what the community wanted, if they wanted fishing access, which I don't think they wanted there, but if they wanted benches or they wanted a place where they could yeah. push two strollers past each other because that's where they took morning walks. It just yeah. uh, got the community's interest. Now it was a part of what – a part of their life instead of something someone came in and just did it like you you mentioned before. No,
0: it's important because if you can get people in and passionate about it, the sky's the limit. And it's – I I think that's wonderful and that's where you're starting. Like it always – off topic, of course, because that's what I do. It always makes me think of uh, – there's a music venue in Philadelphia called Johnny Brenda's in the Fishtown section, and when that mm-hmm. – then you started – originally Fishtown at that point was still rough and tumble, and that was like the local bar where there were fights every day, and the bartender would hide behind the, the bar when the when <laughs> yeah. there was an argument over the pool table. <laughs> so when they bought it, they had a vision of of what they would like it to be, but they realized that they couldn't do it without the community, and they actually went door to door and said, we're the new owners. What do you want this? This is what it is, but what would you like this to be? Like this – we're mm-hmm. part of your community and we want to be partners with you. what do you want mm. what do, and you know yeah. and it, you would hear well we would like to go in there and not worry about a fight so they got yeah. rid of the pool table you know and it's it slowly became part of the community and it's it's a little bit more up come, like you, you, it was one of those like if you build it they will come other businesses mm. right. came and it kind of changed yeah. changed the area for the better that people were happy about um yeah. and i think that's kind of where you need to be but in the same respect like mentioning uh doing that like was there kickback? Like were the communities, had they been burned by other organizations or other ideas where people had come in and said, uh, you know, not what, what do you want but this is what you need and this is what we're mm-hmm. going to do for you? Mm-hmm. Like were there – was there any like where people were leery saying, I don't know about this?
1: And I'd even add to that and say did they want natural areas? Did yeah. They, they said, oh, I, I live in a city because I want – I like bricks <laughs> <laughs> or did, like did they want trees and plants and that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah. The, so, um, I guess I, I, let me get to the first. So, I think with the the community input part, I I think it's such an important process and being able to have folks, uh, you know, uh, community members who, to your point, Tom and friend, like you know, with without their support, uh, uh, projects will be completed, and you know, either they'll miss the mark or folks won't be supportive of it. So, when you're thinking about uh, in in the environmental world, like if we're thinking about like a rain garden or something or street trees or something, there's no maintenance or ownership, you know, they, they, it, then it becomes kind of like problematic. It becomes a liability or, you know, you know, it, it's something that, then it becomes uh, unruly or people aren't taking care of it. And so like, you know, being able to work with communities on placement strategies on, you know, what they would like to see, I think is, is a huge part of this. It, it does make your project stronger. And I think from a project perspective, any time, any pause or break in a project is an opportunity to bring people in. You know, it, it, I think at, you know, whether it's at a design, a conceptual phase, design phase, engineering and implementation. And, you know, there's always a chance and, you know, it can be an iterative process of, you know, casting a net, bringing people in asking their feedback and, you know, uh, let's call, I'll I'll say this too. I mean, it may, it does increase your project timeline. It does end up being a little more expensive in many cases. And, um, but, you know, if we're thinking about kind of the long-term, you know, what's it going to cost to maintain? What's it, you know, are we going to have to relocate something or move it afterward? You know? So if we're thinking about those type of costs and like thinking about the success of these projects, I think that is, that has to be at the center of it, you know, bringing, bringing people in because you will have this sort of perspective and this, you know, uh, local knowledge, I'll, I'll say of what, you know, what, what is needed. Um, and I, I think that that is, that's huge. And, um, to your second question yeah sometimes people don't want you know or feel like they have enough greenery or enough uh uh enough uh parks or or spaces and i think sometimes uh you know uh and and, and it's not to discount or discredit their opinions i think everyone you know for some folks uh for, like for me for instance when i grew up um growing up in a city i had one local city park that i went to with my grandfather and, uh, up to, you know, until the age of like nine or 10, I, that, that was the, that was the biggest green. It was like, I, it was a city park. It was like, it couldn't have been more than like a half block or something. But for me, that was like, wow, okay, we're going here. This is huge. Like, I can't imagine this. Um, and to this day, my, 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 the, the street that I grew up in doesn't have a single street tree. And I, 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 I still, I still visit that place. Um, but it wasn't until I got much older and I started seeing other spaces and I was like, wow, okay. Like I definitely did not have a lot of interaction with nature in my, in my community growing up. Um, but, uh, you know, um, who's to say whether it's the right or wrong amount, but I think, uh, being able to, uh, bring people in, understand, you know, for, for some folks, their priority isn't, greening. It's not urban conservation. And we have to be mindful of that. You know, if we're coming into a city, particularly a, you know, an overburdened community, a community where folks main priority is, hey, am I going to make rent this month? Am I going to be able to feed my family? Am I going to be able to, you know, uh, uh, have a, a job next month? urban conservation, greening is not at the forefront of their mind. And that is something that, uh, you know, we have to be cognizant of, you know, for us, for folks in our field, it's always at our, in the the forefront of our mind, you know, greening plants, uh, environment, the benefits they have. Um, And so we have to be really mindful of that and, you know, making those connections in some cases, because in some of these communities, like, we can reduce some of those, some, some impacts. You know, we start thinking instead of talking about, you know, just urban greening and conservation. we, you know, maybe think about, Hey, a public health perspective, air quality, improving air quality, which in many communities is a case is a, is, is a problem if you're near industry or near an airport or, you know, Um, there's a, a great group, uh, I'll say in, uh, well, there's a lot of great groups in in both cities that I work in, but, um, there's, um, in Newark, two, uh, main groups, uh, that, you know, I've been seeing their work and I'm so like, I, I, I'm so impressed by the work they do. One is, uh, um, the South Ward environmental Alliance and they have been, uh, doing, you know, advocacy work, uh, in Newark. Uh, they do truck counts uh, counting how many trucks come through their neighborhood uh, because uh, you know, some, uh, these, these large, you know, 18 wheelers emit uh, a lot of black carbon. And so that, you know, from an as you're thinking about air quality and asthma and public health, you know, having idling trucks, or I don't know how many thousands of trucks come through your community per year. That is a problem, Mm -hmm. right? That, that is an an issue that, uh, that needs addressing or, You know, recently in in the um, another part of Newark, you have a urban heat island, which, you know, can cause uh, urban heat island effect, which is essentially, you know, there's a lot, you know, these long hot summer months where you have uh, we've been having kind of record high temperatures just a couple weeks ago. Um, And if you don't have much cool, you don't have cooling centers or you don't have, you know, trees that can provide shade in front of your house and like help. Uh, alleviate some of that heat, you know, you're you're either paying more money for uh, for air conditioning and cooling. So if we start talking in that sense of like some of the benefits nature can provide um, in terms of cooling for for homeowners or, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, heat illnesses, you know, uh, these are not now we're starting to kind of draw some lines and connections and sometimes they're not very clear. And sometimes they're not the cleanest in terms of data and correlation and connections, but we have to be able to do better at understanding what they are, communicating what they are, and also providing the solutions needed. Because if we just talk about them and don't come up with any implementation or any sort of uh, solution, then, you know, what are we working towards? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's funny when you mentioned it, it, it kind of like struck me right as you were saying it, you know, it's, it must be difficult if if you have a population that that's never had access to natural areas to to understand why they need them, especially if your your daily concern is survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know that's all part of the talking process, the education process. And as you start to get people on board, um, what are some of the best ways to rectify some of the issues you mentioned by bringing? natural areas to urban environments?
2: I'll say one of the the first things um, to just get folks at meetings, to have folks' interactions, and be able to interact and and show up. Uh, Organizations, companies, whoever, you know, public, whoever's leading the work has to be mindful that, you know, in many many cases, people have to attend these meetings outside of work hours, you know, have it either in the evenings or on a weekend when people can attend. Um, I'm sure all three of us have attended meetings that are in the middle of the day. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, you, it's really a luxury to attend some of these meetings and uh, and these are important decisions that are being made. It's not like, Hey, what color is something it's like really important decisions that affect people's livelihoods. Um And then, uh, you know, so being able to have that, uh, those kind of meetings at a time where people can access them, uh, providing compensation for people's time, I think, is another part. You know, uh, I think for many, many years, uh, we have been, you know, volunteerism has been taken for granted. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, people's time and expertise, whether it's, you know, local knowledge or folks' time helping, uh, you know, plant something, plant uh, a, tr- a tree, for instance, or, you know, and and yes, this this takes budget and it takes money, but it, it and, you know, some folks can't, you know, coming out for a couple hours and being compensated for their time could go a long way. You know, mm-hmm. for them, it's like, hey, I'll be able to feed my family this weekend or be able to provide a little bit of a buffer for, uh, you know, for whatever expenses they have. And, and again, that means we need to be really diligent and better at budgeting and being able to uh to account for these sorts of expenses um you know providing and and this is something i think a lot of uh has almost become the norm now at a lot of meetings but you know providing food you know it's it's something you know if, if you can bring come with your family to attend a meeting on a design or something and there's you know food for you and the rest of your family great you know that's something that's taken care of and again so it's about finding these ways to get people involved and get people to, to first of all, have their basic needs met and their and then, you know, be able to participate and uh, recognize and compensate people for their time, their expertise, because I think uh, we should, you know, local knowledge, lived experiences are our expertises. These are things that, you know, I don't know because I don't live in a certain community. And so that's why I need people's input to be able to provide, you know, their feedback and recommendations on a certain topic or a certain project, uh, simply because I just don't, I don't live there. So um, I think with those uh, sorts of uh, engagements, we will be able to get at the, the more, all right, what do we need here? What are the challenges? What are, you know, do we need, you know, uh, in, in some cities, you know, right now, Flood, flooding has been well. Flooding has been a t- hot topic for years, and but now with accelerated, you know, uh, with climate change and you know these more uh, frequent, more intense rain events, we're seeing. Hey, like we need to do something about stormwater runoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to do uh, in our communities with combined sewer overflows. Uh, um, we need to do something about. Hey, we we need to either change our infrastructure. Or start implementing green infrastructure, and start you know changing kind of like how much pervious pavement, uh, impervious pavement we have, mm-hmm. and maybe start going to pervious pavement in some spaces. Um, urban urban settings are cha- challenging um, because green infrastructure alone is not the solution. You know, some of these cities, there's just so much uh, impervious surface. Just the volume, the sheer volume of water, is so great that we need. Uh, some gray infrastructure as well, and uh, be able to, you know, mm, tackle some of these challenges. I know, for instance, in Patterson, um, uh, uh, back in, I'm going to say like May, late May, we had like a rather intense uh, rain event. And I got some photos from some community members and folks that I've been working with in the city of their blocks completely flooding. Like here, I I was okay. Obviously, it rained. I couldn't leave my house. Um, It wasn't, you know, for me, I didn't really think twice about it. But for that community, they're like, hey, water's rising really quick. Cars were being flooded, you know, they, they had to start moving things up, um, you know, from their basements or, or, and it was a significant amount of water. And so, you know, we have to, in, in these urban settings, uh, one green infrastructure project isn't going to cut it either. We have to start thinking big picture from a city perspective. Uh, how do we create networks or more of a connective, have collective and connective impacts throughout the city, um. Uh, or cities and and what you know what they look like, what kind of uh, synergy do we need with existing uh, city efforts and priorities to get and accomplish these projects? Um, and there's no there's no one size fits all for these types of uh, issues. I, I think yeah. it has to be a really a. a collective effort and discussion i can imagine
0: because i'm i'm sure as an organization you have to be nimble because i'm sure you have a list of things that you feel are necessary but until you you speak with the community to find find out what they feel is necessary and where you where the best place to start is because without the community we all know if if you want success you need active stewardship Mm -hmm. you know obviously Mm -hmm. for for that success um, so once you find a place, a common ground and, and you get most people on board, like what are some of the, the projects that you've been able to implement? And, yeah. um, did you find like, obviously I'm assuming there were successes, but di- did you also find some failures with, with some of the things that you tried to implement?
2: Sure. Um, so I'll start in Newark. So when I came to, to Nature Conservancy, uh, last November, there was a discussion being done, a, a discussion being had with TNC, uh, the city of Newark, the Office of Sustainability, which is uh, led by uh, Nat- Natalia agosto over there, and uh, a couple, uh, the green team and some other partners in the city to develop um, a tool. And so at this point, I had just come in uh, and we were in this sort of development phase. And it's an online tool. It's, it's called the Newark Greenprint Print. So, um, you know, houses have, uh, blueprints, uh, or buildings have blueprints. And we're saying that we, cities should, should have these green prints and, um, this green print and, uh, which by the way, at the end of our, uh, session, I'll send in a link and you can link, link it for your mm-hmm. viewers. Awesome. Um, is, uh, an online interactive tool and it includes inf- key information about, you know, environmental justice, advocacy, public health. Uh, environmental um, challenges and uh, it's meant to be a decision support tool for residents, uh, interested parties. So like community organizations, uh, uh, NGOs, um, city officials. And so it captures kind of like a broader range of folk mm-hmm. and what we really are interested in is how do we create a set, a uh, platform for for people to make decisions within their city, you know, give them the data, data access and data availability to information that can help enhance their understanding and provide, you know, justification for whatever it is they're asking for, advocating for, or looking to implement. Um, you know, we found, and and this is why I'll say um, public input's really important, or reach, working with community members and strong anchor institutions is important. It's, you know, and throughout the green print, we set, we, we went in and we had sort of kind of like that initial reaching out, talking to folks. Um, and, you know, you get such a wide spectrum of ideas. And so obviously with some of these things, you have to narrow it down. Um, but then I think we we may have self-corrected a little too much and got a little narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, uh, we, we got to a point where people were, we, we started kind of asking people, Hey, what do you think of the tool? The tool, by the way, just exited into de- beta into in development. Okay. So it just became public like two and a half, almost three weeks ago at this wow. point. Okay. So, so it's fairly new. We haven't, you know, right now what I'm focused on is let's get this, uh, tool, um, uh, reviewed by community members. Um, so I'm in the middle of planning for that stage. We're hoping to have workshops and have people kind of, you know, train kind of train the trainer sort of sessions and, and have people really identify where our initial gaps, again, this is a pause between the phase. And so I'm like, I'm telling our, our team, Hey, this is time to bring the people back in. Let's bring folks back in. But we did, we already right off the bat. saw uh, people are like, Hey, like you, you're not including socioeconomic information on this. And to me, I was like, Oh yeah, Duh! Like I, like this is something I had done um, back in like grad school. Something I had what brought so much emphasis in, and in getting mixed in in the tool, it's something I lost. We lost in the tool, and so like now that's one of my top things. You know, how do we like let's bring in socioeconomic information, data in here, so that people can overlay it with you know environmental indicators or public health. Um, we found that there was a great need in the city to identify their urban tree canopy, you know, through through working with the office sustainability and some other partners, um, there was not really, there, there wasn't a, an understanding of like, hey, what's our, how much tree canopy do we have? And so we worked with our partners to acquire urban tree canopy data. So now if you go to the, the tool, you're able to see from 2013 to 2019, every two years we have, Uh, This urban tree canopy uh, data set. So you can, you know, and and I for our viewers, they. Oh, I guess I can't share, but I was going to show you guys so you guys can see it. Um, But uh, but that's quite all right. Um, In in either case, you know, I'd be able um, to even just do.
0: We could share like a small snippet. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I was going to say even if you
1: wanted to, Johnny, you can pull it up and then I can describe for all of our listeners (laughs) exactly (laughs) what
2: we're looking. Um. That's okay. I'll share it and we can, we can link it afterwards, but you know, just understanding how some communities throughout the city have either gained or lost tree canopy Mm -hmm. and, or where tree canopy is present, at least starts telling you a story, right? You have, you start seeing the concentration of parks and greenery in certain Mm -hmm. spaces and other communities, which have less than, I think it's like less than 3% urban tree canopy in in some communities. So, you know, this is, this is something we started learning and, you know, obviously this tool is an online tool. Um, we would, I, I would love to see this go be it something that we can use for implementation, have, have it be a tool that people can contribute towards, you know, uh, as we start getting more momentum, um, in terms of, you know, more tree planting, uh, more, um, You know, whether it's pocket parks, uh, converting uh, vacant parcels to um, to like these like corners of greenery or, you know, further uh, green infrastructure developed into the city itself. Like, let's update this tool. Let's have people see like what changes this um, these uh, projects have. And and that that is what the next phase of this tool will be—it's uh, developing scenarios, or um, you know, looking out to certain time horizons to see, you know, in communities where you have uh, increased heat island, for instance, like a like really these hot spots for heat island effect. Uh, can we forecast, model, predict with an X increase in tree canopy or greening, urban greening? What will what will the response be? in terms of looking at urban heat, the reduction of urban heat. And so now as you start visualizing the connections between greening, reducing impervious surfaces, reducing, or having cooling temperatures, now you start kind of drawing those connections. Mm -hmm. The data by itself, as it stands currently, unless you're actively piecing this information and data together yourself, it's not quite clear. And so the analysis portion is where I see this being a very uh, useful tool, um, being able to, you know, ex, uh, export reports or PDFs for your community and then, you know, mm-hmm. share it with your neighbors, share it with other organizations. Um, and plus I, I love democ- uh, like uh, democratizing data and mm-hmm. like just making data accessible and free and viewable. So for me, this has been a really cool project. And there have been some challenges, you know, there, there are challenges with, with these tools and, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, availability. Some data is not, is simply just not there. And so how do we create that data or like, what do we need to do to be able to find someone interested in studying a certain sort of challenge the community is having? Um, these are all, these are all like challenges of the tool. Um, and getting people to use it, use it. You know, I think ultimately this is the tool is only as good as, you know, how often and how user friendly it is, uh, how often people use it and how user friendly it is. And uh we're we're hoping to get there soon. That's yeah. awesome.
0: That's an awesome tool. That's yeah, that's an awesome tool. That's really good. As you start to implement these things and you, you get successes, what are some of the secondary benefits that you're finding that maybe were <clears throat> unknown that like now that these things are happening. The community is getting involved. Are you seeing other advantages that maybe you hadn't thought of?
2: Yeah, um, I'll. You know, for for this one, we'll we'll change landscape. We'll go, okay. Let's go to let's go to Patterson. Okay. Um, and you know, we found really strong partners up in Patterson. Uh, one of my uh, one of the strongest partners I've made up there is the uh, the Habitat for Humanity. Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, They do some great work, and I've been working with um, uh, now a good friend of mine, Steve Hayes, and he's very active in community development, you know, and he's very active in, in, you know, uh, his bread and butter is housing and community development. So how do we, you know, kind of merge forces um, and be able to, uh, do, uh, greening or, you know, work that helps develop, uh, the community that he's most interested in and in working with working with right now, which is, um, the first word. So we currently have received, um, this is somewhat new information. Uh, we received funding, uh, via, uh, so, you know, the Clean Water Act yeah. has yeah. Section 319 and New Jersey DEP has their annual, their their calls for grants. And so we worked with the city of Patterson and a number of other partners uh, from the city to apply for funding for a green street in Patterson. And we found out recently that uh, we're moving forward on awesome. this project, like we were awarded, um, which has been great. As as Patterson as Habitat for Humanity is developing this community in in their ward and you know developing housing opportunity and home ownership opportunities for folks, can we also work with you know the community that they're building and and cultivating over time to you know uh, to bring some of our expertise into it? Whether it's you know uh, urban you know uh, greening or flood reduction or enhancing air quality and community gardens, and that's something where. Uh, Steve and I have been, you know, working on, uh, you know, activating parks, uh, city parks and use, using spaces for, uh, community, uh, community gardens have, has been something we've been talking about most recently. Um, and, uh, along, so there's this one section in, in Patterson, um, we were awarded a 319 grant for a green street. And it's on Fair Street. So that's in Fair Street, Patterson. And there's a city park right on that street. It's called Barber Park. And on an, on the other side of that street, you have a, a public school, PS6, uh, public school number six. And, and uh, you know, we're, we've been talking, you know, with the green team, with uh, uh, Habitat for Humanity, with uh, Patterson Public School District, with a number of partners and, and people about, like, hey, how do we, you know, connect these spaces? You know, there's, there's a school right across the street. There's a city park. Is there, you know, can we have some sort of activity for students to come, uh, you know, and, and, you know, tend to a garden or create something there. And, you know, as we're building this community as well, um, how do we engage, you know, there's a, there's a church right on the corner, uh, you know, bring them into this. Uh, we, we want to, we want to bring everyone, uh, into this project because fair street would be kind of this urban greening about 35 or so street trees, some bump outs, uh, some, you know, um, deep paving in some areas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, creating some, uh, stormwater uh, basins, uh, you know, trying to, uh, reduce stormwater runoff and use this as a demonstration project. And you and so we're hoping to kick that off early 2023. Um again, we're at a phase between the last design and now this last final engineering and then implementation. Mm-hmm. So this is a great time to bring people uh back into the the conversation and you know use this as a as a way to hey the old design did you guys like it? What didn't you like about it? Mm -hmm. Where, where can we improve? Are there amenities, you know, that you possibly would like to see in this new, in this new design? Uh, But a lot, and a lot of that means, you know, having a good understanding of of what the community needs are. So uh, this is our first green street. And, uh, you know, I hope that as we continue to work in in this, uh, in this field, um, how do we draw this to be more of a, like a citywide kind of vision, right? How do we connect schools and parks maybe, or create, you know, these kind of networks that lead to maybe the Passaic river Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, how do we think about um, city transportation? Uh, If you start, if you think you're thinking about green streets, you have an opportunity for, uh, multimodal transportation, maybe improving, you know, creating uh better, you know, traffic patterns or bike lanes or, you know, having that. And, and that now starts addressing maybe vehicular traffic. And so mm-hmm. now you're getting at a uh, pollution from car. So, so, you know, there's so much interconnected in this that you can, we can really build out a robust program and project around something as simple as green streets. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, I'm really excited to, you know, work with the city on this and our partners and, you know, the green team and uh, New Jersey Future, ANJAC, Water Spirit, um, uh, Rutgers Water Resources. And, uh, you know, there's so many uh, partners involved in the process right now and I'm hoping that we can continue to build this robust
0: team. You're uh, yep. you're mentioning some great organizations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, with with your you can't help but to not see the passion that you bring to this and and <clears throat> the excitement. What in in your time there so far, what are you most proud of that you've been able to accomplish? I know I'm I'm um <laughs> yeah. putting you on the spot yeah. with that one. I know that wasn't a question that we re- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we submitted ahead of time.
2: That's all right. You know, it, it's one of those. Um, what I'm what I'm most proud of to to date, I think, is is not so much a project. I, I'm really proud of what of you know us being able to get mm-hmm. funding for the 319H uh, grant. Um, really proud of us for getting the green print to where it is. But what I'm really most proud of is being able to take an approach that to me has been, you know, something that I've read about, learned about, um, and be able to actively do it, you know, come, come into communities and, you know, speak with authenticity, speak, you know, uh, listen, you know, uh, moving at the speed of trust, uh, but also kind of advancing with a sense of patient urgency, you know, I think is, we, we want to, you know, cities need um, sorts of uh, projects that address a number of these impacts from climate change. And so there's a sense of urgency, but we can only move as fast as like, you know, ha- working with all of our partners and getting everyone on the same page and, you know, allocating the proper time and resources to move forward. So we have to be patient. And so... Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm most proud of like the folks and the communities that we've brought uh, that, that we've been working with and, you know, that we're being brought in a sense to their to their city to their table. Um, and, you know, I can only hope that throughout my career, um, I can continue to uh, to do this to do it well um, and to have good mentors and partners that will call me out when I don't. You know? <laughs> so that, that, is, uh, that is uh, something that it's on the record. So uh, I, you know, I, I really I think it's it's something I I really enjoy and something I hope to continue doing uh, for many many years. But
0: yeah. what, what I'm sorry, Tom. No, you me. go. You I, go ahead, I was friend. gonna say what I love hearing from you and your enthusiasm is that. There are so many possibilities, and it's almost as if there's a no-limit approach, which I love that there's no limitations. There's no boundaries on this. Mm -hmm. Where do you envision this program going uh, for the Nature Conservancy? And is it already different from other colleagues that are doing this in other parts of the world? Like are you finding – I'm sure everyone is – everyone doing this in some way is is feeling that same – that same emotion or that same feeling, but where, where do you envision this heading in the future?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm an eternal optimist mm-hmm. and I am, I definitely am a, I, I would consider myself more of a, a big picture thinker and strategizer. So for, when you ask me, where do I see this? <laughs> I, you know, I, I see this like, you know, I see us taking our cities program that not, and, and not just in New Jersey. And, you know, um, I'll, I'll speak to New Jersey because that's where I, I do most of my work. But I, I'm sure my colleagues at, across TNC, uh, across programs and including the cities program, see this sort of approach as kind of as being the approach we need to take in all our work. Mm-hmm. I see this being uh, something. Vital to, uh, you know, whether it's working with indigenous peoples and, you know, some of our colleagues and uh, that work uh, in, 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 um, in some of those spaces or working with farmers. Uh, working with uh you know with landowners uh across across the country and across the world using traditional knowledge and you know having the sense of you know, res- you know respectful authentic engagements equitable approaches you know how to how do we transform our work um you know how do we you know ensure that this is something that um that this is long lived that it's sustainable and you know uh I think sometimes it's really easy to at least in in the environmental world, it's very easy to think of doom and gloom all the time because all we see is kind of uh, failures or, um, you know, new study shows and enter whatever it is you want to enter there. And, and it's usually not great, uh, but we have to take, uh, you know, pride and really rejoice in like the small wins, small victories, advances and. Um, I think that, regardless of you know where you are in the world, working with people, working in communities where projects impact at people's day to day, are complex. There's so many complexities. So sometimes getting something as small as a rain garden in somewhere takes so much like time and energy and involvement and communication and you know just to get it there. And so that should be celebrated and and, and that should be um, supported. And I think uh, a lot of organizations have been doing this work with, um, you know, with limited resources. And I would love to be uh, in a position in the future to be able to continue to support their efforts and recognize them, uh, develop their capacity, lend support, uh, be able to um, you know, connect the, connect them, be a, be a connector. You know, I think that's, that's another important piece of this. Like, um, I love drawing connections, having people introduce themselves, you know, meet, having, introducing people to each other, uh, networking in this field. And it's so important, you know, access, providing access to folks is, is vital. If you, you know, if you know, if I know someone that you don't know and you want to get to know them, please let me know. And I will make sure, you know, to make that connection because otherwise we're, we're limiting, right. We're, uh, I'm, we're, we're limiting the possibilities, the communication, the partnerships. And so, uh, I'm here for that. I want to continue to be and in a in a position to help support those advances um, of our partners and um, across the country I'll say you know um, I was recently speaking to a colleague of mine from Louisville and uh, they have this project called the Green Heart Project Mm -hmm. and it's basically a project that is looking at the power of greenery as a public health strategy in Louisville neighborhoods and I love it I think it's it's so cool. Or, you know, and, in, in, uh, uh, uh another colleague of mine uh, is, uh, you know, working on urban heat a- in the Southwest and, you know, um, and, and being able to, to, uh, you know, whether it's changing road colors, adding street trees, you know, collecting. The- so l- there's so much exciting work here. And it's not just limited to. Uh, cities. I think we can expand and influence the way organize, our organization as a whole functions. And that's what I'm most excited about. I'm I'm really, I think I've learned that I'm outside of my interest in, in the environment. I'm really interested in, and have, have a passion for systemic change and changing how organizations, uh, you know, uh, shift their practices. And I can only hope that through my work and effort, uh, that I'm able to do that um, here at TNC and be able to support our leadership, our E.L.T. support our goals, but also kind of serve as a, as a pro, as as a in between between you know, the communities that we serve, the partners that we work with, and uh, you know be able to advance uh, advance um, everyone's work together. And,
1: well, and I'm, I'm always I, the first time we met. I always felt the same way, but I'm always glad to see how optimistic you are about this because one of the the quotes that I'm really gonna butcher and I'm really paraphrasing <laughs> it but it's uh it's something like lonely is the world of an uh, environmentalist or ecologist because they see uh, everything that's going wrong in the world and also sees how blind everyone else is to it and um, like you're in a position where not only are you seeing what some other people might not uh, maybe they see it but they don't associate it with environmental issues but then you're in a spot where you have not only so many challenges but so Many directions you could go, and it would be mm. so easy to be overwhelmed and then pessimistic about Zoom. What the heck are we going to do to to make this work? But it's uh, it's I'm even reflecting on a lot uh, of our, our guests, they've been no one's just thrown up their hands and given up, they're yeah. all trying. Maybe it's because yeah, we're but, finding those people,
0: but your you optimism know? is yeah. very refreshing, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But Thank you. I, I wanted to say also we're here for you in the same way too. We just had our last episode that we did was a whole episode about a lack of connectivity in the mm. ecological restoration field and that so many yeah. people are – have such great goals but are working separately to achieve them when together we could do so much more. So <laughs> – uh, whatever we can do. If there's anyone that that you need to connect with, that we know, we're happy to do the same yeah. for you. Also, right. um, I would kind of wanted to throw out because we've been talking about a broad sense, um, with with bringing nature to urban environments, um, and successes. What are just for our listener? Uh, because we have a lot of listeners that have reached out to us that they're in urban environments. What are some small ways that people can do this on their own in their own small spaces?
2: Yeah, uh, I. I love, um, so I have a, I live in a, you know, fairly urban setting too. Uh, so, you know, something as little as easy as you, you know, whether you have a small or front like large lawn or you know, this is something that you can adapt, uh, um, you know, I having, you know, wildflowers, obviously, if, if you're thinking about habitat connectivity in urban spaces, I think a lot of times urban spaces, People don't think about them as like spaces with a lot of biodiversity, mm-hmm. but they are. And so being able to provide these kind of smaller oases of like, uh, you know, uh, pollinator plants or garden, you know, smaller gardens or even window boxes, you know, having something mm-hmm. as simple as like window boxes uh, outside of your windows and, you know, something you can care uh, with like fairly low maintenance um, that you can have out there, um, you know, is is, is huge Um it, it goes a long way. I know uh, right now uh, being able to kind of take those smaller uh, measures, um, you know, vol- I want to say like be vocal um, in your community. Uh, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of times that uh, p- decisions are being made, whether it's street trees or parks or, you know, or other sorts of initiatives. Um, you know, I know sometimes it's a, it's a heavy lift and it's, you know, we get home from work and we want to, you know, have dinner, spend time with the family, and and and. But sometimes, you know, spend, you know, taking a few minutes and and learning what's going in your on in your community, and you know, even having. And I think I have some audio issue right now. Uh, No, you're good. We 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 got you. I I, I got I got so excited. I I ripped my my headset out. Um, I I talk with my hands a lot. So for for the listeners, uh, I I, I'm swinging left and right. Uh, But you know, being able to have that sort of you know take you know even that one phone call that you make to your local you know shade tree commission or something could go a long way. So participating in that way and. You know um supporting your local you know green team participating in that sense uh uh i think those are those are all ways that folks can can kind of help out in their communities um for for more urban this isn't this, this isn't so much greening but if you're in a real if you're in a community with combined sewer overflow uh uh out, outfalls so and you have cso events um Checking your corner drain, your storm drain, and just making sure it's not uh, clogged up. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, just with a trash bag and collect some of the leaves or debris or, you know, those plastic bags and bottles that make their way there can clog up these storm drains and then cause localized flooding. So these are just small, like, everyday actions um, that, that one could take, and uh, they go a long way. Yeah. Awesome. What, one thing,
1: Johnny, you hit on earlier and then you just brought it up again, was, um, was going to meetings. And then yeah. you were even saying how a lot of the times the meetings are structured in a way like they're in the middle of the day and not yeah. everyone can make them to. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think was one of the uh, benefits in a way, if you can look at some of the benefits of COVID that was so bad in so mm-hmm. many ways, but one of the benefits is that it forced a lot of these um, public meetings to find other options. A lot of them were going virtual. And uh, and I know just in our town there was it just increased the amount of public participation to a point where a lot of the like the public servants did not like it because they had <laughs> so many more voices coming in, but it really reflected yeah. at least a portion of what the community wanted. Um, but even that, it was still somewhat restrictive because we we live in a community that has uh, two um, like fifty five and older developments in it, mm-hmm. but they and they didn't always have the resources to, to get online and then go to these virtual meetings. But that was even just right. in our town. They they moved the meeting times a little bit and then had it so you're, there's in-person and a virtual option so right. you can participate in a, a variety of different ways. Uh, it's even like we have a two-year-old, it's hard to get out of the house, but that I can mm-hmm. turn this on and just listen. I, it might not yeah. be that I wanted to say anything, but just to listen and participate is a big, big thing. So yeah, in your community, if uh, if – the meetings aren't happening when, uh, and even for for associations, they aren't happening when is convenient for you. You can always ask and see, hey, is there an option that we can do this at a different time, or right. because it might you don't know why they selected the time; yeah. they might have just right. selected it out of randomness. Random. And if yeah. they want more people to be involved, it may have make sense to they move may the change time it.
2: Yeah, or even now with recordings, There's, yeah, you know, with all yeah. these, like you said, these Zoom meetings, like, yeah cities, towns are having their own YouTube channels where they're uploading Mm -hmm. their public meetings and, you know, you can view the recording or webinars and things like that. There's an endless amount of content now, almost with the, with shifting everything virtual, because, you know, at at least uh, folks are recording, folks are uploading it. You can view it at your own time, you know, uh, you can pause, go, you know, do whatever you have to do, come back and and catch up. So I think that's, that's an excellent suggestion, Tom. Yeah.
0: So. I, I feel that with with most of our – pretty much all of our guests, everyone has always kind of felt as a perfect fit for the career path that they've chosen. <laughs> it seems like almost like an act of mm-hmm. destiny. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that you said you grew up on a, a street without street trees. What inspired you to, to follow the path that that you followed to get you to where you are today?
2: Yeah. I think it was – well, I know it was my mentors. I, I came to college. I came to Rutgers uh, back in 2009 and started my freshman year. And I was really interested in policy. You know, I wanted I wanted to do something that was impactful to people. I didn't quite know the theme of what I wanted to focus on. And I met a uh, in my freshman year. I took a course, an introductory course, and it was a, a human ecology course. And it was taught by a professor was never reti- has since retired george clark okay and i remember going through the class and just being so fascinated by the subject matter and you know uh, professor clark was uh after class or before class he was he'd always welcome talking to students, almost philosophizing and, you know, talking about the environment and things that were happening and trending topics or even like daily news to, to that extent. And, and I remember speaking with him and, you know, he was like, Hey, like, you're, you're really active in class. Like I, you know, I think you might like the program and, you know, come join my next course. I think it was called people, places and environment. Okay. And I took that and I was like hooked. I was like, man, like, you know, people and we're in, we're, interacting with their environment in such a way. And it's kind of like this, you ha- it was this kind of coming to terms moment in my college. And I'm like, we're, we're ruining the environment. Like we're ruining our world. Like, we have to do something. And, um, and so I quickly, I was like, okay, like, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, and I got, and so at that point I had decided to major in uh, um, environmental policy uh, and economics. And, you know, I, f- with a focus in forestry at that point, I was, uh, I, I wasn't sure. So I was still kind of like testing the grounds out. And I had started to intern at a local organization at that point, um, that was advocating for clean, like, uh, um, more holistic remediations for, you know, uh, contaminated sites and super funds, which, you know, in Jersey, we have many of those, unfortunately. Um, but I, and I, I quickly learned, I was like, you know what, I don't know much about the science. I said, I'm here. I listen. I'm listening. I know that there's problems. I know that there are issues. I'm advocating for them. I'm listening. I'm reading debriefs and, uh, you know, environmental impact studies and the policy and the law. And I was like, I don't, I don't know the science. So that's when I said, you know, I have to go back and get a, a degree in some sort of environmental science world. And I landed on, coastal in ecology I landed in ecology and and that's kind of and and my intention was just to get my master's and just to you know do my two years and uh move on and go to you know maybe back to the policy world and uh as things kind of tend to work out in life (laughs) um there's a lot of unexpected thing uh events and I had the opportunity to uh progress from my master's into my doctorate with the same advisor at Rutgers uh, through this new initiative uh, sponsored by the National Science Foundation called Coastal Climate Risk and Resilience. Mm -hmm. And it was about how we communicate risk to coastal communities. It was about, you know. Thinking about New, New New Jersey specific and sea level rise and coastal storms and that peep that kind of multi dimensional aspect that I loved of like you know knowing the science knowing about the socioeconomic uh process like uh, problems also knowing the policy side of things and so you know I I decided I, I decided to stay I shifted and I um I in in that time I you know stayed involved I. I had an opportunity to be an Eagleton fellow at the Rutgers uh, Eagleton Institute uh, for uh, politics and be involved in kind of learning more about the policy world. I uh, got a public policy fellowship down in D.C. where I spent some time with UCAR, the University Corporation for Atmospheric Research, and then uh, a year with the the Wilson Center under Sherry Goodman, who uh, worked a lot on uh, nuclear security in the past and now is working on climate security issues. And so uh, under, you know, all those mentors that I had along the way really defined, you know, kind of the trajectory of my career, where I am now. Uh, I mentioned earlier, obviously that my advisor, Gene marie Hartman, who was vital for my academic uh, career. Um, I got involved in, uh, uh, I became a, uh, a board member for the lower Raritan watershed partnership, mm-hmm. which is a, a watershed association here, right in smack dab, middle of New Jersey. Uh, so with, you know, working with Heather Fenyak and the rest of our board members on, on, uh, on a uh, restoration water quality monitoring. Uh, so all of these pieces, all of these experiences have really, I think molded and created this kind of world for me um, and these the set of skills Um And I, I, I love it. I, I, I honestly, I think, you know, it's, it's funny because my parents don't quite understand sometimes. Um, uh, Even while I was doing my doctorate, it was like this kind of foreign kind of concept, but they're like, Hey, but he's going to be a doctor. So this is good. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, uh, but being, but being able to kind of, you know, gain kind of like this, wide range of skill sets I think has been for me so vital in advancing my career, advancing, you know, professionally learning, um, constantly learning, constantly reading, uh, interested in, in continuing to, to better myself, be a better, uh, be a better advocate, be a better supporter partner. So, um, I would love to keep doing this for the rest of my life. Um, whether it's, uh, here at TNC, um, whether it's, you know, uh, I've always before, before joining the nonprofit world, I, I was actually interested in government, very interested in government. And I was thinking, you know, maybe EPA or, you know, Office of Science and Technology Policy or something like that in DC I, I had. Um, but who knows? I mean, uh, the, I, I think it's about keeping an open mind and and seeing where, where things go and, uh, ultimately I think I want to be in a space and a place where I could have the most positive impact on people and the environment. Uh, and I want it to be in uh, a, uh, in a, in a position where it's, you know, not just fat, me alone. I don't want to just, uh, you know, kind of sit in a silo, um, but it's somewhere, you know, or some, something where I can go far and go collectively move collectively with a group of people. And, and, and that's, um, yeah, and, and that that's my hope and, yeah. Well, yeah, I think awesome. that's
0: happening. Yeah. You know, I, oh, yeah. I think that's already happening. And you mentioned mentioned some great mentors, like we know a lot of those names and they're mm-hmm. fantastic people, and it shows how much you love this. And and sometimes you know you made the right choice if your parents don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tom, do you have a question before?
1: I have I'm gonna do the last All question. right, do so it. I was gonna do say this it. the time of the show where yes. we ask uh, probably the hardest question of the whole the whole episode. And that is, what is your favorite native plant?
2: Well, I, um, I had some good, you know, I, I was debating all morning. I was like, what do I <laughs> go with? And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I love this question cause it made me go back through memory lane and, uh, it made me think back of my undergrad. Um, and I took a dendrology course when I was uh, a junior in college at, uh, at, and, um, the professor at the time, uh, Jason Grabowski, who is still at Rutgers, um, took us to, uh, Rutgers gardens and there was a pawpaw tree out there. And, you know, I was like, what is it? Like, I've never heard of this pawpaw at that, at that point. And I was so intrigued because it kind of you know, the, the fruit kind of looked like a watermelon, uh, I'm sorry, not, uh, um, a mango, and I'm thinking about watermelons right now, but because uh, I have some for lunch coming up, but <laughs> it looked like a mango, and it was like kind of this, you know, this tree I'd never heard of, and it, it was native, and, and, you know, there was we were having discussions about how, it was never commercialized because it was like very difficult to kind of manage and transport. And a lot of it, the fruit would be lost. And so it wasn't quite as economic as like some of the other fruits that you see come mm-hmm. to market. However, it's great tasting and you can, if you find it and you get it at a right time, you know, it, um, you can, you can eat it. It's edible, perfectly yeah. edible. So we're out there with the, uh, with this professor and, uh, uh, he put he grabs one and he's like who wants to try this and I think we're all so, for the most part some of the class was like you know what it's, it's from Rutgers Gardens like should we be eating this and and I was totally like I'm I'm a very adventurous eater by the way I will eat I'll try anything at least once and awesome. so I'm like yeah I, I put my hand up I'm like let me have a piece and so we we he breaks off a piece and we try it and I was like wow this is it, it, it the texture was something quite unlike anything else I'd ever tried mm-hmm, at yeah. that point and um, you know I was like so like enamored by this like new fruit they had found I actually had um, I took another one and I like shared it with my roommates I think that evening or something they're like whoa like this is so cool um, but ever since then uh, anytime I come across or I see a pawpaw tree or something I'm like oh is it fruiting and I'll like check it out and if it is I'm lucky and I strike gold and um but I will be. I will let folks know if it's a bad pawpaw, it tastes bad. Like if it, <laughs> it's a little bruised, or, you yeah, know. You don't. Yeah. So, oh. I, you know, out of nostalgia and out of like kind of the the trip down memory lane, I'm going to say that I, that's my my favorite.
0: That's an awesome choice. I've been fortunate enough to not have a bad pawpaw at this okay. point. I had a
2: bad pawpaw. you know. Yeah. So
0: now I'm going to be on the lookout. But that tree is so amazing. If you, you know, and it is native, and it's amazing that it. It's not really caught on, you know, but mm-hmm. I could see like people saying, I don't want that big, messy fruit in my yard. Like, uh, come on, in, in a suburban environment, how many times have you heard that? But, I mean, there's <laughs> records that that was George Washington's favorite dessert, like a chilled uh, pawpaw um, mm-hmm. is what he enjoyed after a meal. And you, When you think about like uh, it's fly pollinated and that the flowers smell, like like yeah. rotting mm-hmm. meat to like attract the fly. The, the mm-hmm. flower
1: is like so um, – I'm – don't know how to pronounce the word. (laughs) What's it? Macabre? Is that how you say it? Macabre. Yeah, Yeah. Macabre, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, like, as I encountered encountered that word in my brain, I'm like, I don't know if I'm saying (laughs) this the right way. But yeah, it's like, it's just, it's that dark maroon and like just real like...
2: Hey, have Weird you guys up. seen? I'm gonna make a plug here, or, or not a plug, but a, a, a reference. Have you guys seen Stranger Things?
0: Oh yeah, of course.
2: You, you know the Demogorgon when he yeah. opens up. Yeah. That's what I think of yeah. like, when, it, when the pop flower. It's like kind of like a more a less exaggerated version of like a Demogorgon <laughs> opening up uh, its mouth. And so, um, uh, Tom, you just made me think of that. Oh uh, yeah. That, that, that's what that's that's the, a great uh, association
0: yeah. like i yeah. hadn't thought about that but as soon as he said it i was like oh man that's yeah. <laughs> that's pretty accurate and, it, and it should come as no surprise to any of our listeners that
1: i have not seen <laughs> straight <videos. laughs>
0: i've seen it all uh all right so then <laughs> we're at the the point of the podcast where we we kind of to end it we we do final thoughts so this is we start by handing the floor over to you you can uh promote something summarize something Talk about something we we may have not have mentioned, but we hand it over to you, and the floor is yours.
2: Great. Well, first off, definitely want to thank both of you. You guys have been awesome hosts, um, and this has been a really good experience. So thank you both. Um, I also want to just say um, a huge thanks to all of our. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned a lot of projects and people. Uh, we can't all the work that I'm uh, that I've been involved in. It's not just me. You know, I think it's it's all these people and groups and conversations, you know, there's that saying, you know, if you want to go fast, you know, go alone. Uh, and if you want to go far, go together. And that's, <laughs> the tr- that could not be further, you know, that, that is the truth for all this work. And, you know, uh, so just want to, you know, definitely recognize and appreciate everyone who has put their time efforts, uh, given their expertise in all of our work and will continue to do so. I think it's, you know, so important. Um, you know, I, I just want to, uh, I guess, end with, uh, uh, I guess, kind of a looking forward sort of, you know, at, at the Cities Program at TNC. Uh, we're we're very new. You know, if any of your listeners um, is surprised that TNC is working in Cities, I get it. Be surprised. Um, <laughs> but please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I will, you know, I'm always happy uh, to, um, you know, share information, share knowledge, be a thought partner, co-collaborate, co-produce knowledge. Um, If you're in a city or an urban landscape that I'm not working in, uh, even more reason to reach out to me. I'm so curious and uh, looking forward to where TNC can take the city's program in the future. Um, If you're out of state, uh, you know, also reach out because we have i have a lot of wonderful colleagues across the country that are working in these in these landscapes so I uh, definitely want to leave that as kind of like my door my virtual door is always open um and uh, you know i hope that probably hopefully in, you know we can have a follow up in a couple year a year or a couple years and and i'll be able to report on some you know on you know projects that we've completed um we have um you know, this green streets project that we have coming up, the uh, the uh, green printing and newark that is being uh conducted and uh you know we have some upcoming street tree planting in the city of Newark. So we're working with the Newark Office of Sustainability uh to get some street tree planting uh either well most likely done in the spring of twenty twenty three. So look out for that. Um and, of course, eternal gratitude to all of you uh, for, for the time and for the platform. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you. And we'll definitely do a follow-up. Yeah, That's a must. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to do that. Tom, would you like to go? Would yeah, you like I'll, me to I'll go.
1: And um, I know so there's people out there. I don't know if it's any of our listeners, but there's people out there who don't think this kind of stuff is important when we talk about, yeah. like, heat islands and cities and all that. They don't think it's important, but you really only have to look back over the last two years to see how important it is when you just see – how, with, with COVID, how much harder it hit urban and minority communities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it went back to, Johnny, when you were saying you have a lot of the industry is in these areas and a lot of the byproducts of those industries in these areas, there's a lot of chronic illness that's in these, the, the instance of it is so much higher in these yeah. some of these urban and especially minority communities, and they haven't had access to green space. That's what kind yeah. of helps clean up these environments. If you don't have access, um, you're you're going to have more illness. So that's why it is important. Yeah. Um, and then Johnny also has a lot of really really cool ideas and some of them we can't talk about. Yeah. and I can't work to, that <laughs> will to work
0: be, with you guys that, on some of that. that that's where we definitely got to follow. That will follow be follow the up. that will be the follow up. Mine's going to yes. be sh- mine's going to be short and sweet. We a lot of the times I I feel our listeners maybe listen to some of these great people and great organizations and feel like that's out there. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's and and we get the questions a lot like, what can I do in my space? But just remember, all of these things include you. Um, You're a part of all of these programs. They all happen, whether you decide to be an active participant or not to get the most out of it, be an active participant um, and and have a say in it and be a part of it. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you have to be a part of everything. That's impossible. But just remember that just like nature, you're a part of this and you can play as big a role or as small a smaller role as you want. It doesn't have to be something that's over there or out there or happening somewhere else. It's it's all a part of who we are and what we do. And and have a say, have a word. It's it's important because you never know how things change based on what you want. Yeah. So, so that's
1: it. that is it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Johnny Keatsbay. Uh, did I say it right?
0: You got it. Okay. <laughs> All oh, right. Oh, my
1: gosh. Two for two. <laughs> Woo! So, for more information, you can visit the Nature Conservancy's website at www.nature.org. Um, if you want to find more information directly about the Cities Program, uh, the easiest way to do it – I'm not going to read the whole URL. It's very long. The easiest way to do it is just Google the Nature Conservancy Cities Program. It's the first thing that pops up, and it really kind of covers – And we'll show link it. Some of the it. really cool stuff We'll show too. link it, yeah. So – um. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening Native Plants, Healthy Planet, presented by Pinelands Nursery.
0: We're going to say thank you to the egocentric plastic men for contributing our theme music. Make sure you stream or buy their songs wherever you consume your music. You can even see them live uh, in and around the Philadelphia area, so make sure you do that if you're in that area. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. Also at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we'll answer it to the best of our abilities. And if we can't, we'll call someone that can. Uh, and let's not forget about the Facebook group. just keeps growing, and – Better and better conversations every day. I can't be more yeah. proud of the content and the kindness that everyone exhibits. Yeah, in that group. I love
1: to see the the topics that are talked about on our podcast just kind of get expounded on there, yeah. and people really get to weigh in. That was the goal was yes. to take these really complex topics that were boiling down to at most ninety minutes, and then people have opinions. That's yeah. a pl- great place to voice your opinion on what we talked about. So exactly, uh, you can buy Native Plans Healthy Planet. Uh, Merch at our website, com. There's a little link at the top or for uh, or a banner that will take you to our Teespring store. Uh, all the profits from that go uh, to us, but then we take it and then give it to organizations that we feel deserve it. They're doing really, really good work, and um, and that money would go a long way for them. So uh, we've chosen what's the Native Habitat Project, Sourlands Conservancy, Bowman's Hill was our last one. So we're looking for our next uh, donation here. So keep buying merch. And, uh, and then we'll have more places or more money to give to these much-deserving organizations.
0: It, it goes a long way, and yeah. I can't tell you how thankful they are for, for those contributions, and you all make that possible. So you can also listen to the Native Plants Healthy
1: Planet podcast at www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Um, when you're there, if at all possible, if leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to the Apple algorithm that then makes us pop up higher in the charts. And then you have more people hearing about native plants, which is a good thing. Win-win. And if you leave a little write-up with that five-star view, I give you a shout-out on our Buzz episodes. So with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom.
0: And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Johnny, thank you so much. We appreciate you, uh, you were a fantastic guest today. Thank you. Um, thank coming, you. coming up next week, we have a Buzz episode, so make sure you tune in for that. And until then, keep it native.